cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophecy to the breath, prophecy mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophecy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves. O my people, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your soil and then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Good morning. morning. Christmas tide number six. <laughs> Bear with me. Let's pray. Thanks, O oh God, for these good words. Thank you for old men that had visions. Thank you for hope. Thank you for the assurance that somehow you will raise the dead to life. We pray that you will allow us to hear this word in a new way, a fresh way, that we may wonder about it for ourselves, for the sake of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Max Dupree, the former chief executive of the Herman Miller Company, tells a story about his father who founded the company back in the early part of last century. Back in those days, in the 1920s, Furniture factories were not run by electric motors, but by a shaft and pulley system that was powered by a steam engine. It was a rather complicated system of boilers and straps and cylinders and steam, and the whole cycle was overseen by a person called a millwright. A millwright was the responsible for making sure that the cycle of shafts and pulleys and steam was always working so that the woodworker, woodworkers could keep applying their trade. The millwright was a very important person. Well, one day in the Herman Miller Company, the millwright died. And Dupree recounts that his father, when hearing the news that the millwright died, decided that he would do the right thing and go to the millwright's house and pay respects to his family. 
When he arrived at the rather humble abode of the millwright, his wife invited him in and to have a seat in the living room, the rather modest living room. And there was some awkward conversation followed by some even more awkward silence until finally the millwright's wife asked if it would be all right if she read to him some poetry. Dr. Mr. Dupree consented. So the woman went into another room and brought out a bound book of poetry and began to read this poetry to him. It was beautiful poetry. And when the woman finished reading it, Mr. Dupree asked who wrote it. She replied, her husband, the millwright, was the poet. Upon later leaving the house, Mr. Dupree began to wonder about something. This employee, whose job it was to oversee this mechanical puzzle of shafts and pulleys, and who was very skilled at it, had something entirely different going on inside of him, another passion, another gift. He wrote poetry, and he wrote very good poetry. And it led Mr. Dupree to ask a question that would forever change the way that he worked with his employees. And the question about the millwright was this. Was he a poet who did millwright's work, or was he a millwright who wrote poetry? Was he a poet who did millwright's work, or was he a millwright who wrote poetry? You know, life has its way of funneling you and me into a particular work or a particular role. We make our choices along the way as to what we are going to do for a living or what we are going to be when we grow up. But those choices we make don't always paint the whole picture. There, there's more to you, right, than what meets the eye. I mean, is it fair to say that you are or were just simply a business executive or simply a salesman or simply an accountant or simply a stay-at-home mom or simply a teacher or simply retired or simply a millwright? The truth is, you are not just simply anything. We are not defined or we should not allow ourselves to be defined by the life choices we've made in the past. Was the man a poet? who did millwright's work, or was he a millwright who wrote poetry? Truth is, you and I are deep and complicated human beings who have been fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator whose design for us we are learning about every single day. And yet, we do live in a world that has its way of, what should I say, working us to the bone. And when I say working us to the bone, I don't just mean, you know, working us long hours, though in some cases that's true. No, no, the world has its way of working us to the bone by somehow working out of us the spirit that is already inside us. Working us, or should I say working us over so that the only thing left is the bones and not the spirit. And we can get work to the bone in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it is, in fact, our jobs that work us to the bone. We, we take on a work that we, we don't necessarily give it, that doesn't necessarily give us joys. It just sort of pays the bills. And we work and work and work against our spirit until finally our spirit departs. Sometimes it's just life that works us to the bone. Unfortunate circumstances occur that make living more and more difficult, job loss and marital strife and depression and unexpected accidents, surprise diagnoses, or those things that you talked about that give you stress during the holidays. And we grind and we grind, and suddenly one day we feel whew, no more spirit. All bones, no spirit. 
Sometimes it's just not being honest with ourselves that works us to the bone. We live our lives the way everybody else wants us to live our life instead of how we might be called or how we were really created to live. We, we put on a good front, a good mask, until one day we look inside and we see nothing but bones. Boris Pasternak, author of Dr. Shivago, put it this way, the great majority of us are required to live a life of constant systematic duplicity. Your health is bound to be affected if day after day you say the opposite of what you feel, you grovel before what you dislike, and you rejoice at what brings you nothing but misfortune. Our spirits cannot be forever violated with impunity. The world sometimes has its way of working us to the bone. Then add on top of that, the widespread notion in our culture, certainly outside the church, but sometimes even inside the church, that believes that the purpose of God, the presence of God, the mission of God is to try to get us to be something, to do something that we're not wired to do, to get us to be the person we were never created to be, that God is kind of like some drill sergeant who's there to bark orders at us and whip us into shape and conform us into some kind of robotic followers. It, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you were made. God is around to mold you into some uniform figurine for his little playset. And so in turn, religion becomes for lots of people this dry sort of ritual that manages again to suck out of us whatever spirit that's inside of us, that even the creator, we think, wants us to get our acts together, wants to work us to the bone. And so sometimes on Sunday morning, you get a lot of people who are bone tired from the week, bone tired from working against their very souls, now bracing themselves for the drill sergeant who's there to tell them that they're screwing up. And what's left is all bones and no spirit. Enter then the message of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is speaking to the discouraged and depleted people of Israel who have been left in exile. They have been left to suffer under a foreign captivity for generations. History has worked against them. History has kind of worked them over. And the spirit of Israel has departed, and along with it, whatever hope they had for the future. And Ezekiel then has this vision of a valley of dry bones, a valley of people who have been worked over and over and worked to the bone, people who have had life go against them. And in this vision, Ezekiel hears the voice of God who tells them to prophesy to the bones. Tell the bones that I will cause my breath to enter them, and they shall live again, and I will lay sinews upon them and flesh upon them, and I will breathe my spirit into them, and they will come alive, and they will be what they were always intended to be. You see, the message from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is that God is always trying to let us be who we are. And who we are is both bone and spirit, flesh and soul. And the spirit that's inside us is the spirit of God breathe into us in order to bring to life that unique spirit that is, that is us, that unique spirit that oftentimes the world wants to suck out of us. You see, that's the crazy thing about how people view religion, that to be religious is to join some sort of chain gang where we're dragged along by God who has constricted us into some kind of involuntary servitude. It couldn't be more opposite. Jesus says, I have come to set the captives free. I've come 
to blow my spirit upon the dry bones. I have come to give you permission to be yourself. Studs Terkel, who wrote the seminal book on the nature of work in America entitled Working, said this, most people have jobs that are too small for their spirits. Expand that to say, most people have lifestyles that are too small for their spirits. Most people have made choices that are too small for their spirits. Most people have circumstances that are too small for their spirits. Most people have gotten themselves through all sorts of ways, worked to the bone, and they wonder, can, can these bones ever live again? Maybe that's why we love Christmas so much, because that little baby born in Bethlehem is born to a people who have gotten themselves worked over. Mary and Joseph, forced to leave their home, have their firstborn in, of all places, a manger. That's enough to knock the spirit right out of you. The, the people of Palestine, living under the rule of Rome, the despotic kingdom of Herod, worshiping in a temple who was, that was built by a heathen, enough to knock the spirit right out of you. But then there's this little, itty baby born who's come to tell us that life is more than circumstances. Life is more than situation. Life is more than the choices you've made. Life is more than the job you punch in for. Life is spirit. You can't hold a baby and know that life is not spirit. And he's come to claim our spirits, to free our spirits, to bring life to our spirits. So no surprise that in his ministry, Jesus felt drawn to talk to people like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the marginalized and, and even to the empty rich who, you know, have all those things, all that stuff, but they don't have anything inside. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we're all bones. We're all bones. Life has worked us to the bone. We've gone against the very grain of who we are. There's this empty rattle inside. And Jesus says, follow me, and I'll unlock the prison. Follow me, because I'll take you back to yourself. I'll take you back to that spirit, because you know what? When you began, it began all with spirit. We were spirit before we were anything else, and we will be spirit after everything else. And life, though life has this way of hemming us in and squeezing us into a job description and, and labeling us and defining us and giving us titles we don't really like, Jesus leads us into this adventure of living out the great cause of human existence, which is to love the world and everything that is in it with who we are and finding the joy of doing and being who we were created to be and to do. B. Salazar slipped a disc. The old body just wasn't what it used to be, and she slipped a disc. So she had back surgery, and she was sent home to, uh, to recuperate, and she was put on disability from work, and so she stayed at home, and at home she just kind of grew more and more discouraged and maybe a little depressed over this situation in her life, and she kind of felt a little sorry for herself, and she realized that she was more bones than spirit. And one day she stepped outside for some fresh air outside of her apartment and she could see over at the, at the apartment complex dumpster a boy scavenging for food. So B went to him and told him that if he wanted some food, she could make him some peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which she did. She took him to her apartment, made him a PBJ, and when he was done, she sent him on his way. 
15 minutes later, a knock came to the door and she opened it and found six more young boys on her doorstep. <laughs> Is it true, one of the boys asked, that you're giving away peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? Sure, she said. And so she fed them and she found out that no one was home at any of these boys' houses because their parents worked and so they were left on their own to kind of find their own lunch. Well, the next day more kids showed up and the next day more kids and she felt now like she was feeding the neighborhood. And when school began, the kids came after school to her apartment to get help with homework. And B saw that this was getting to be something kind of bigger than she thought. So she asked for volunteers from her church and from her community, and she got resources from the schools, and she got her landlord to give her an apartment, and later the school to give her a room where she could set up shop for these children. And now 100 kids come every day to visit B and her ministry. Mortal, can these bones live? Frederick Buechner said that our vocation in life is found when our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. When the world's deep gladness, when our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. They used to say that when Lou Gehrig, the great first baseman for the New York Yankees, would come home from playing one of his 2,130 straight baseball games for the Yankees, that he would often drop off his stuff at his house and head straight out to the street and play stickball with the neighborhood boys. Imagine that, a little New York boy getting to play with Lou Gehrig. They said that deep down Lou Gehrig was just a boy wanting to play baseball. And maybe that's why when he was diagnosed with what would come to be known as Lou Gehrig's disease, forcing him to retire early, he would stand before a standing room only crowd at Yankee Stadium and say, I am the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And don't you wonder if that isn't God's hope for us all, that somehow each of us would get to the end of it all and say, I am the luckiest man on the face of the earth. I am the luckiest woman on the face of the earth. Not because it all went the way as planned or that it was all a bed of roses or that even, we even found the perfect job, but that somewhere along the way we found ourselves. We found our spirits. We found our calling in life. That place somewhere between millwright and poet where the world's deep hunger and our deep gladness meet. And maybe that starts in Bethlehem, where the world's deep hunger and God's deep gladness meet in that little child who will someday walk the dusty trails of Palestine, someday walk the paved avenues of Sarasota and say, follow me and let those bones live. Let's pray. Maybe most of all, Lord, in this Advent season, we wonder if we're more bones than spirit, strangely and ironically enough. So we pray, O oh Lord, that we won't be able to make our way to claim that little baby for ourselves and with him, your spirit, that your spirit may fill us, cause our bones to live, 
Allow us to be the people you've created us to be. All for the sake of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. to join us so tell us they just today keep showing up they keep showing yeah, up crazy. with like great talent so we do have some special guests today students from uh, Braden River High School they play in the orchestra there they also play in churches all over town apparently uh, but we are very fortunate to have them today this is Jack and Cami nice thank you guys for being here um, and of course welcome back to Amelia who's home from college yay and then if you would just give us a hint of what's coming next week so that we can bring this. our friends. You don't want to miss this. Uh, we are going to bring in some uh, percussionists, actually Dom and some of his friends from, uh, from Riverview, from the marching band are going to be 
uh, entertaining us and, and joining in with the songs, the Christmas songs that we're doing next week. So Little Drummer Boy, just Little maybe. Little Drummer Boy is in there. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. definitely. That's great. Thank you so much. What a great way to worship God. And so as we go out this week, wondering how that spirit can be infused in us so that we go out and love God and love neighbor. And now may the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes, the love of God reflected in your hands, the wisdom of God reflected in your words, and the knowledge of God flow through your heart so that all might see and believe. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Would you like to blow out the candles? Do you want to come up and blow out the candles? Oh, wow. Do you want to trade?